Today on Sagittarian Matters, we talk about Rapunzel being a crone, eating a human placenta, plus a lot of professional advice with Capricorn friend of the show, Beth Pickens. Stay tuned. Capricorn matters. I do have strong giggles. I'm using them right now. Really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have a lot of advice questions, but I just the other day was talking to somebody about Rapunzel, and I realized that most people don't know the actual story behind Rapunzel. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. It's, <laughs> it's worse than I think it is, isn't it? Well, there's some parts that are better and some parts that are funny or weird. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day... Is it an older woman who is vilified for being older? I just I just want you to tell me, as I tell you this, if you identify with the witch or not. Okay, so this straight couple moves in next to an old woman who happens to be a sorceress. She's great at gardening. She has a wonderful garden. The straight people can't get it together to garden, but they do get knocked up. So <laughs> this, this witch next door who has a, a big wall, she has a gate to protect all of her harvest stuff, has all these vegetables... The straight couple's knocked up. The straight woman gets pregnant and starts craving. I think it's like, it's like a special kind of lettuce. And she decides that she won't eat anything except for this lettuce, which is called Rapunzel, which, is, you know, I guess is kind of like Rapini or something. I don't know. It's in the, you know, it's, 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 it's something very specific. They don't have Postmates. For some reason, she won't eat anything else. So she decides to go on hunger strike. Telling her husband she and the baby are going to die if he can't get her some of this lettuce. Oh, my God. So dramatic. So dramatic. She won't eat a thing. Me and your child, your unborn child, dead. <laughs> Unless you go and get us some. I thought it was cabbage in some stories and some it's lettuce. Anyway, so he decides he's going to steal it from the fucking witch. So he leaps over her wall, steals this cabbage slash lettuce, brings it back to his wife. For some reason, that leafy thing is what is nourishing her child. Can you imagine eating like a head of cabbage and being like, oh, I'm satiated. <laughs> this is enough nutrients. Exactly. If listeners, you may hear Sammy in the background. So then she's like, this is great. I'm eating again. I need more of it. So then he goes over again and then he gets caught by the witch. The witch is, he's like, look, my wife's going to die unless I have this. She's pregnant. She's like, oh, she's pregnant. Well, I'm a witch. How about this? You could have as much cabbage as you want. If you give me the baby. <laughs> fair fair trade. <laughs> She's like, look, your wife's going to die if you don't get rid of this cabbage. Because for some reason, you don't know of any other markets or farms or anything. You, Sammy. Sammy. <laughs> he can't believe this story. He cannot believe. He's in a lot of suspense. So she's like, just give me your, your child mm-hmm. that's born from my cabbage. And so he says, Yes. And he de- he decides he'll figure it out later. So there's like a version of it where he and his wife like go have the baby somewhere else. And then the witch shows up at the last minute. She's like, you thought you could trick me? That's my baby. Cabbage for child. That's the trade. But there's another one where he like doesn't tell his wife till the last minute when the lady shows up to like, you know, take the little the baby and the placenta while she's at it and mm-hmm. just go out the door and then. I don't know where the, the couple goes away and has other kids or something, but she decides to lock the child in a tower or she raises her and then she gets a breeding age and she puts her in a tower and it's like, don't, I don't want any men bothering you. Stay in this tower. I'll come visit you every day, give you some cabbage or whatever. 
And then she grows the hair that we know as the rope. Okay, so then this, where, what, do you remember any of this? I don't remember any of that backstory. All I remember is um, that there is a young woman in a turret of a castle, and she's stuck there because a mean old woman has trapped her there, and that she has very long hair, and her, her, her knight or the prince or whoever is the guy that comes save her says, like, Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair. And she lets down her hair. He climbs up it. Seems like that would be painful and maybe <laughs> helps her escape. Is that even true? In the tale? It is. He sees, he hears her singing out her window, as you do. He sees the witch go up and say, Rapunzel, let down your hair. And he sees that that's their system. So then one day he does it. And she's like, oh, that sounds like the witch. So she lets down her hair and he climbs up. And then she's like, and then they have an affair for a while. And then she tells the witch. And then the witch gets so mad that she cuts off her hair. And what is she, does she throw Rapunzel out the window? I can't remember if she has a Rapunzel. But later the guy comes and says this thing, let down your hair. And the witch lets down the, the braid rope and he climbs up. But then at the other end is the witch. <gasps> and then she casts him out of the window and he falls. And this is the part I was remembering slowly, which he falls and he, for some reason, falls into a patch of briars and goes blind from thorns <laughs> stabbing his eyes. So then he's... Just cursed to living in the forest blind, like Ponyo. And then Rapunzel, she's exiled too, and eventually they find each other. And then she cries into his eye sockets, and he gets his sight again. Have you tried that with Ponyo? <laughs> I haven't tried it yet. I didn't even think about it. You know, I had this integrative ophthalmologist, and she didn't tell me about that. Didn't tell about that, yeah. We had so many other things. Anyway, so that's the story. That is more... Well, first of all, I think women don't fare well in the Grimm's fairy tales, <laughs> especially old women. They haven't, through antiquity, and as far as I can understand, still not doing great. No, I just, I, I really, you know, and we're seeing all these movies now where all these villainesses, we're seeing their backstory where they're like a hot 20-something mm. and they're relatable. Cruella, you mean? Yeah. And, and but I'm just like, well, what, in like Wicked and um, Angelina Jolie. And I just wonder, you know, I couldn't help but wonder, what, <laughs> where's the love for the crone? Mm-hmm. And it totally makes sense. If somebody came into your backyard and you found them eating your or stealing your stuff, some straight person just jumped over your fence and took my lettuce. Yeah. I actually have lettuce that I'm growing right now, and I would be so upset. I I don't think I'd want the baby because I wouldn't want to raise it, <laughs> but I would want something, some kind of compensation. Like I'm not gonna call the police, but what? Are well, you- here's the thing: if you ask, I will give you, but I don't want you to come take the things out of the garden. Yeah. You know? And it's not glean. They, he, he wasn't gleaning. No. I'm down for gleaning. He was not gleaning. He was taking something he knew he shouldn't take. He was. But also, I would just, you know, I would be like, this is your option. You haven't explored any other option besides, besides stealing from your neighbor. Yeah. No market in town? Nothing? You you can't really, you can't even conceive of how to grow a vegetable or how to, like, how did you guys feed yourselves before this moment? What are we supposed to learn from that particular fairy tale? It says don't take things. From somebody's garden. I don't know. That's That straightness wins. Yeah. It always does. You know. Anyway. Look back, now on to the questions. Happy Pride. <laughs> Happy Pride. <laughs> Happy Pride, everybody. Dear Beth Pickens, what is the difference between procrastination and experimentation? Procrastination and experimentation. From Creative in Canada. Um, 
I don't, those two words don't come to, they, they don't exist on sort of a parallel plane. So I'm having trouble wrestling with that. But I think procrastination versus anything. How about that? Procrastination. How do I know if I'm procrastinating or enter blank? I think the way you determine is you get really honest with yourself about what you're doing and why. What is your motive? I think when we're avoiding and we're procrastinating, we can um, sort of talk ourselves into circles and try to, you know, reason out with someone and, and convince ourselves we're doing something else. But in our heart, we know I'm avoiding something. And my, I theorize that the basis of procrastination is just fear. So, and experimentation is kind of the opposite of fear. Experimentation is, you know, really a counter narrative to fear. So again, I don't really, those two choices don't, that, that's hard for me to understand. But I would say you can know if you're procrastinating versus enter word here by being really honest with yourself. Mm, I think that's good. I mean, what, what are you, I, part of me thinks like, what are you supposed to be doing? Is there something that you think you're supposed to be doing with your art? It seems like this is an art world question because you're somebody who speaks to artists. So I guess I just asked the person, can your experimentations feel quote unquote productive just because it's you're just doing art. You're just doing it in a different form or you're just doing something different. Because the procrastination part versus experimentation makes me think you, you're supposed to be doing something in some particular artistic way and you're not. You're mm. fiddle-faddling around with different mediums. But can that fiddle-faddling be something? Yeah. And if, and if what's happening oh. is you have a deadline or something you're supposed to be making and you're having some fear and procrastinating on that by going into other projects, then just like... I think the way you determine is, like I said, you just get really honest with yourself about what you're doing. Yeah. Um, a couple things. If you're an artist and you are looking to make some things without, I don't know. Well, two things. And I don't know what my preface is to this. One is Linda Berry always suggests, and I like this too, getting a piece of paper out of the garbage can and drawing on that. And she's like, you know what? The worst, the worst that could happen is it's garbage. It's already garbage. You're making it better no matter what you do. This happened, I was in a workshop the other day and they had us crumple up a piece of paper and then uncrumple it and draw on it. And everyone felt much more free because it was a similar idea, mm. writing on garbage. It's the tyranny of the expensive journal, right? You buy a nice journal or nice materials and then you're afraid to use them. I had this talk with Linda Berry at her workshop because I was telling her I have that problem. And she was like... She told me the saddest story, which is that she had some really expensive paints and she was so afraid to use them that eventually they just dried up. <laughs> that she never used them because she was so afraid to use them that they eventually dried up and she couldn't use them. Um, what was the other thing I was going to tell them? Oh, for me, even in experimentation, even in anything, I finish every drawing I start. If I start a drawing and it's looking like trash and I hate it and I want to abandon it, I've made a deal with myself that I will finish every drawing because generally, by the time I finish that drawing, there's something redeeming that has happened. There's something I like about it. And so I guess I want to tell this experimenter, even if you're experimenting with different things, take them to completion as much as you can. Because then they may turn into something besides just you like looking at a color palette. You could actually turn that color palette into something. That's my advice. That's it. I'm not taking it back. Do you want relationship advice? Sure. Dear Beth Pickens, <clears throat> I've got a question for you and Beth. 
How do you handle it when one person's emotional needs seem to be in direct conflict with the other person's emotional needs? I.e., one person needs space to process and will go days without communicating, while the other person feels unmoored without consistency in communication. Knowing that these different approaches are trauma responses and part of who we are doesn't seem to make it any easier when the conflict arises. It always feels like one of us is making a sacrifice, either being forced to communicate before they feel ready or being forced to sit in silence for days on end. Is this a fundamental incompatibility that is eventually going to destroy our relationship? Or is there a way we can learn to do better with each other? From Puzzled in Portland. Mm, Okay. I think that all conflict can be generative and whether you whether this is your person for the next 40 years or the next four days this is an opportunity to learn how to have better conflict with someone um and you know often in in any couple people have really different communication styles because we have we're wired differently we come from different family backgrounds we have different personalities different trauma experiences um and those are often in conflict and it, it's interesting when the when the writer said one of us is doing something and the other one of us is sacrificing sacrificing so the other person can have more of what they need whether that is no time to think or a lot of time to think and i think maybe both parties agreeing to meet each other a little bit so that you're both a little bit uncomfortable and getting comfortable in that little bit of discomfort. So for the person who's more anxious and when there's conflict wants to address it immediately, that maybe they practice having a pause for 24 hours. And for the person who really wants a long time to cool off or to stew or to avoid whatever they're go- whatever they're doing, they would agree that they get a full 24 hours, but not longer, right? So that you both meet each other a little bit closer in the middle. I don't think different communication patterns are a condemnation and that a couple can't work um, because what we do in adult life is is learn to have better conflict and learn to have better communication. So this might be, I think couples counseling, my, my favorite thing is just couples counseling. Like <laughs> the best thing you do is try couples counseling if you haven't already. I think that's good. I mean, I agree with all of that. I think there's also just understanding, are you both willing to communicate through this? Are you both willing to work on this? Are you both willing to budge a little bit? I think that willingness can take you a long way. Because if you go to couples counseling or you have the best advice in the world and somebody's unwilling or somebody is in such a triggered state that they actually can't even talk, then it does it doesn't you need communication to make it work. Yeah. And and in the absence of couples counseling, so sometimes in a couple one person just refuses or they're they're just not willing. And if one or both people are in their own individual therapy, it will change the dynamic of the relationship. Not because you can change the other person, but because you will change. Mm-hmm. And you can change how you show up and how big you react to things and how much you let things get under your skin. And that can positively affect your relationship. I think that's pretty good. I think we're going to start doing couples counseling. Yeah. <laughs> so come to us. It's a couples... What's it called? We're not counselors. We are consultants. consultants. Couple consultants. We can be couples consultants. Let us be your Esther Perel. Today's episode is brought to you by Emily Helmus, Anna Seidel, Lily Withicombe, Shoshana Ruth Wechter, Christy Herod, and Joey Soloway. If you 
would like to support Sagittarian Matters. In particular, producer Chris Sutton, please send $5, $5 million, that's your business, via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. Or, this just in, he's got a Venmo, Hell Books. That's H-E, double hockey sticks, books. Thank you for your support, and we look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Ponyo looks forward to it too. Don't be scared. That's just Ponyo's voice. Dear Sagittarian Matters, do you have any advice on restarting my career and making new professional connections? I'm a writer cartoonist who U-hauled from Australia to the U.S. mid-pandemic. Thanks. From U-hauled in Utah. Okay. They need advice on restarting their career and making new professional connections in America. Mm-hmm. Okay. Start with lowest hanging fruit. The people you know, even if it's only vaguely. So much happens just through relationships. So wherever you're living in Utah, or maybe not in Utah. um, No, I'm sure Utah's (laughs) amazing. It's beautiful. Ski Utah. Um, Wherever you are, start with the lowest hanging fruit of who's available, who's in your immediate community, who's there by proximity, who are you meeting online, who are friends of friends, who are friends of acquaintances. But start with just the people that you have access to. I always like to just start with what's immediately available. And then in terms of um, starting in a new profession, they said was it a new creative profession or just a new profession? A new creative. A new... Well, they said they identify as a writer cartoonist. Writer cartoonist. Okay. Okay. I think this is a really important time to get a mentor. I want you to find a mentor. They don't have to be where you live, although that would be a big plus. But I think having a formal mentor, somebody who is further in their career, um, that you really admire, I think finding someone who could give you career guidance and more introductions could be really useful. What do you think? Um, I think all of that's really useful. I think if you're a cartoonist and you're trying to get, I guess it depends what your goal is. If you're trying to get more people to read your comics here so that you can have a comics community here, then you can start applying to comics festivals. You know, the world is opening up. Some things are going to remain Um, some things are going to remain remote for a while and some things are happening in real life. So if I were you, I would apply to comics festivals depending on where you are, like MoCA or Short Run or Cala, Comics Arts LA, or like the LA Zine Fest or San Francisco Zine Fest, um, Portland Zine Symposium. I would start going to these small things and meeting people there and or applying to teach workshops at these places. Because for me, I've always met people through really just like going to the heart of the thing so like not like I I don't like not having a job at a place so if I'm going to go to a show I'd love to be tabling at a show if I'm going to a you know I would like to meet the organizers of a thing like I want to see like the nuts and bolts of something and see if I can be a part of that somehow so I'm not just milling around Um, but if you are milling around give people your comics just as a gift don't put it in their hand and say give me eight dollars People whose work you admire, people who you want to be friends with, people whose comics you think you might like, just give them a copy of your comic. That's what I, and of course, Beth, you are off of Instagram this month, but post your comics on Instagram and really try to reach out. I mean, there's really, it's very basic to just to get a friend, be a friend. And in comics or whatever art world, it's very small and you need friends. So, you know, lift up somebody else's art, 
in your stories on your page or contact them let them know how much you like them send them your comic post stuff tag other people it's just be a friend and something that you talk about a lot nicole i think in finding any kind of community and contacts which you touched on a little bit it's volunteering it's Mm -hmm. it's like getting involved outside of a paid work context you can also look to as Nicole said, the heart of the thing that you want to participate in and just show up and say, how can I help? I want to be part of this. Yeah. I mean, for me, I like knowing who's running a zine fest so I can say, thank you. Thank you for doing this. I see all this hard work you're doing. Um, But I've always, all the friends I have in the world, I feel I can trace back to volunteer opportunities that I've done. And, you know, some of the volunteer things were like volunteering for the Independent Publishing Resource Center in Portland, Um, or volunteering with senior citizens. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be a straight line between the thing you want and what you're volunteering to do. You might find those people are attracted to other, I don't know, other organizations or causes that are kind of just adjacent to the thing you want. Beth, how is it being off of Instagram? Oh, it's glorious. It's glorious. So I promised myself that after I got done with all of the heavy book promotion, and, and, you know, I had to feed the algorithm starting in like February to, to make sure that people could see my bullshit on Instagram. And I promised myself that after I did two months of promotion, I could take a month off of Instagram. So all of June, I am off the sauce and it feels incredible. I got to tell you, the first couple of days, I felt the like reaching for it or often on my computer, I would pull up Instagram between tasks or something. And so I took that off of my most used sites bar so that it just doesn't appear. It's not on my phone. And within like the half-life, the half-life reached its end by about day four where I was like just not thinking about it at all. And what I've noticed so far now that I'm a couple weeks in is that I feel like I have more time and I definitely feel like I have more internal spaciousness. And in fact, every once in a while, I'll think, am I, I am I forgetting to do something? There's something I'm supposed to be doing. And then I realize it's Instagram. Mm. That, that, was, that was dominating so much of my thinking about like all the stuff that people worry about with social media. And having it out of my life for a period of time has just restored so much interiority that I didn't realize was gone. I can't wait to have an interior someday. <laughs> I'm teaching a, a couple of workshops this month, so I am on Instagram right now, but I'm looking forward to putting it down. For real. In the meantime, here's some more questions we got off of Instagram. <laughs> and Beth, all your homework club members have been advised to take the month off of Instagram. So there's a bunch of people not on there right now, which is also awesome during Pride Mm. because you're seeing just a lot of like, you know, corporate ass kissing. Oh, it's the worst. And then people critiquing the corporate ass kissing. Oh, that's the worst times two. You just kind of know, you know what's going to happen. People are like, hey, what's the deal with Citibank? Oh, never a worse time to be gay than June. God. (laughs) Beth Pickens. My MFA didn't give me teaching experience that I need to pursue my art professor dreams. I know I need to find a mentor to help me craft my application and make better plans. I'm hoping to find someone who's comfortable and has tenure within a university. And usually those people can't accept money, can't accept money to mentor people. What can I offer? Or maybe they can't accept money, but I don't have the resources right now. When looking for a mentor, what other things can people offer? 
Well, a reason people mentor from mentee in Minneapolis from ment- menteed <laughs> mentos in Minneapolis. Um, the reason people serve as mentors, I mean, sure, sometimes there's paid situations, but usually it's much more informal than that, and it's not an exchange of money. People mentor because they've been mentored and because they have something to offer and they want to offer it. And it's a relationship. So simply by being in any kind of relationship, both people are getting something out of it. That, that, that should be the basis of any kind of relationship. So you have things to offer by being where you are in your career. By coming of age in your art world when you did, you have a different perspective. You've had a different life. You have a different worldview because you're at a different time and presumably possibly a different age, but definitely a different time in your career. So I want you to not to discount the fact that your lived experience and your questions and how you perceive the world and art world around you, those are something you have to offer. And that's useful in the exchange. So um, most people who get MFAs are not prepared to apply to any kind of teaching job. That's not usually a part of MFA programs. And it requires getting help from friends who teach, usually sometimes even in other disciplines, people who maybe have more professional experience with um, academic applications, which is a very, it's just its own kind of application process. So I would say identify people who, again have what you want who have the careers and jobs maybe in the place or the kind of teaching that they do or the way you perceive them to balance their teaching life with their art life and just one at a time start asking them introduce yourself and and say like here's why I'm asking you specifically I think it's really helpful when you're asking for any kind of mentorship or tutelage or anything from a person further in your field it's helpful to tell them here's why I'm seeking you out rather than just I need a mentor so I'm sending this to 50 people Tell the person, here's what about your life and career I really admire and what I'm hoping to get out of this. And one of the things can be, I really need to learn about applying to teaching jobs. Mm. That's good. You know, I am being paid to mentor someone right now through a grant. There was this grant that was basically like, hey, if you're a cartoonist or if you're an artist and you want to work on a big project, this grant allowed for people to seek out a mentor and then pay them for weekly or monthly meetings and it's really lovely i'm going to be entering into a paid mentorship thing too (laughs) through a university (laughs) but most of the time barring our examples Mm -hmm. it's not a paid exchange well i guess i just say that to say if this person doesn't have luck with saying you know hey here's who i am here's why i chose you here's what i would like another option is you could also if you don't have money and you feel like you went up give someone money for something you can write a grant for it that's true you can rustle up funds somehow rustle them up dear Sagittarian Matters I need a job slash career change but I have no idea how to get the ball rolling or what I want to do help from changing in Chicago Mm. Okay, so you're starting from zero. You have no idea except that you want out of what you're currently doing. I think an interesting place to begin is starting with people in your life and actually just kind of doing like a little inquiry session with lots of different people in your life to find out what do they do and what was their career trajectory. One of my favorite things about my consulting practice is I get to hear so much about people's work lives and their parents' work lives, the trajectories that people are on, and, and professional lives are very meandering. 
careers are all about unplanned happenstance. There's very little linear line in most people's professional money-making experiences, artists and, and every other sector. So it can be an interesting thought experiment to first just start with who are the people in your life and just ask them, tell me about your job. Tell me what you do. Tell me all about it. And tell me about all the jobs you had before that. Just to collect more information about the different kinds of things people do. Because what you will start to notice as you're hearing these stories from people around you is um, attraction and repulsion. (laughs) There will be things that you think, God, I never want to do that. Or, oh, that's really interesting. I'm curious about that. I think that's a useful thought experiment. It's also useful to think about what do you, if you were going to volunteer, what kind of volunteer work would you do? What what makes you feel motivated to work and what demotivates you to work? And I, I think this person's probably an artist. I don't know if they, if they said most people who follow you are, are creative. So if you're an artist of some sort, I just want you to always know you can pull apart how you make money from any creative work that you have. But for artists and creative people, they often have skills that can be applied in so many different ways of making money. But right now, it sounds like you're at the exploration phase of just finding out what are some of my choices and possibilities. Hmm. I wonder what would happen if you asked a couple of your friends who you really like and who are nice to you to say, what, what job do you think I should do? What do you think I would be good at? Because they might have a different idea than you. I like that attraction repulsion idea. For a long time, I had um, in my wallet a list of jobs that I could do so that I would never be. Because um, it just like. What the, was on this list? Okay, things on the list. It was like aerobics instructor web design, dog walker, babysitter, grocery night stockman, janitor. Just like it was just like as things would come to me where I'd be like, I wouldn't mind doing that. I would put it on the list because there would be some days where I would have such scarcity where, you know, something would happen. I'd be like, or if I ever had like a, a snafu at work and I would be like, oh, my God, this is it. This is it. I'm going down, you know, like, come on, Beja, let's go. I... I could remember I had this whole list of jobs that I had before had been like, I would do that job. So it just reminded you had choices, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. reminded me I had choices. Yeah. Um, I wish I still had that. I also have a list of karaoke songs that I used to keep in my wallet. <laughs> ones to sing or ones to avoid? Ones to sing. And then also sometimes if there was a song that I wanted to sing, I would put it on there. Like one I hadn't sung yet. So I had like my greatest hits. Mm-hmm. And ones I hadn't sung yet. Because the karaoke bar where I used to work, before I worked there, there was a Rolodex. Everybody had their own note card. And you could write your favorite songs and codes. So you didn't even have to go get the book. You could go up, look for your name, get in the note card, and be like, oh, yeah, I want to sing this. Oh, my God. Brilliant. And get your slip in just right away. Best use of a Rolodex in the 21st century. Oh, yeah. I mean, maybe it was one of those little card boxes. But you know what I mean. Hi listeners, it's me, Nicole. If you would like to support me and Ponyo, in particular our comics and animal illustrations, go to patreon.com slash Nicole J. Georges. And for as little as $2 a month, you can have access to hundreds of pages of otherwise unpublished diary comics. For the price of one cold brew plus tip, you can become an honorary Sagittarian. And for the price of two vegan cupcakes or two vegan donuts, you can become a Ponyo's Friend Club member, at which point you really start raking in goods, including new buttons. Check it out. Patreon.com slash Nicole J. Georges.
we don't have any more advice questions. Oh my gosh, should we just give each other advice? Yeah. Um, do you have unsolicited? Unsolicited. Should we just, just start Let me tell you what I think you should be doing with your life. Do you think I should spend a lot of money dyeing my hair? No. I am a box hair dye person, have been since I was 14, 13, mm-hmm. and will be forever. My hair grows too fast to pay that much money to get my hair dyed. It is wild to me how much money people pay getting their hair dyed on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. I would rather spend that money on other things that are very expensive, too. <laughs> I've had multiple times where I've let hairdressers talk me into things in the chair because I've like put myself on a different level of being like, I must not understand what you're talking about. You know, best. And then I come out of there and I'm just like, what is this? Yeah. What's happened to me? <laughs> I had a lovely person doing my hair who really talked me into a panel, doing a panel of color. That's a streak. That's a streak. <laughs> but she called it a panel of color. And then I left and I look at the pictures now and I'm like, why do I just have this like one blonde hair? It's a panel. So expensive. Yeah. You got a, a big, a chunky highlight is what happened. <laughs> I got one chunky highlight, but it was called a panel. Um. Okay. Let's see. Advice questions. What do you think... I should, what professional mountain should I climb next? I really need a, a new big goal. You do? Yeah. I always need one. And it's not books. I wrote two. I don't, I, who knows if I'll ever write another one. I don't know. But that doesn't feel like the big professional goal. I, I don't know what the next goal should be. What do you think? You tell me. What do you think I'd be good at? <laughs> well, I think you should write a workbook with me. Mm-hmm. And I also think that you should restart Food Adventure Club. Mm. Food Adventure Club was really spectacular. You did a really good job. That takes me back to the early aughts. When you were eating human placenta. Oh, my God. Speaking of Rapunzel, when you <laughs> talked about Rapunzel and the, the, taking the baby in the placenta, I was like, I was that old witch going to the hospital to take somebody, a stranger who I did not know, but who was donating her placenta to me. I took that placenta in the middle of the night. Wasn't it a friend of a friend? It was a friend of Annie Sprinkles. Annie Sprinkle had hooked up this placenta for me. That makes sense. <laughs> so that my food adventure club could eat it. Didn't you show up with a Tupperware? Yeah. That, well, they told me I had to bring my own container. They had no containers in the entire hospital that a placenta could go home in. So I had to show up in the middle of the night. I'll never forget. It was like 2 in the morning. It was raining. It was freezing. It was San Francisco. So it was extra cold. And I didn't want to go. And and my my spouse was like, you have to. You've been planning this for so long. And I was like, but it's so cold and it's two in the morning. But I went. I went to the hospital and I felt like a monster. I felt like that monster in Pan's Labyrinth, the one with the eyeball in the hand. And I was like, good evening. <laughs> have a placenta for me. It was just, I felt like a monster. I had to feign like, oh, is this your baby? Wonderful. And then like snatch the placenta and run out. It's just. Was it just hanging out on the side? Was it in a fridge? Was it just in the room? Gosh, what do I remember? I think I had to give someone my container and then they returned it to me with the placenta. And this was your second placenta. This is my second placenta. Because the first one you got... From a very well-known writer, whose name I won't name here. (laughs) A very well-known writer whose books I've really loved. Wonderful writer. Gave me her placenta that had been in her freezer for a while because she really wanted to donate it to me so that my Food Adventure Club could use it to eat. Um, And I had it, and then um, it was in my freezer. And one night we had a couple of our friends who were both doctors and, and... and, and I was telling them about it and they had me bring it out and they said, you can't eat this. This container that it's been stored in had formaldehyde in it. And I was like, what? No, surely not. It's like a yogurt container, right? It's fine. And they were like, no, this container absolutely had formaldehyde in it. 
And um, so then I consulted with my friend who's a um, microbiologist, and she confirmed what would happen if I ingested um, formaldehyde. And here's the thing. This writer who gave me her placenta, she got it. Her, she had a midwife who made sure that she got the placenta to take home. So I was like, you got to unearth that midwife. Somebody's got to school her. She cannot send home placentas and formaldehyde containers. Well, that what was, happened to you? You get very sick. It's a poison. It's poison, mm. and even if the even if the writer had wanted to bury the placenta, he shouldn't be burying that formaldehyde in the ground. So anyway, I had to return the placenta to her. She was not pleased. P.S. Um, and and she actually sent an assistant to my apartment to come pick it up. So I handed this assistant a bag with the frozen placenta in it. And then not long after, through Annie Sprinkle, I was able to procure a fresh placenta in my pan's labyrinth, pan labyrinth, pan's labyrinth monsterhood. I just, since we brought it up, will you just explain the point of the placenta, why you were getting it? Yeah, well, Food Adventure Club, the point of it was to have food experiences, not necessarily weird or or strange or gross or anything. It was just, it was everything from like making tartine cookbooks, chocolate croissants, to harvesting mussels, to um, durian fruit, to just whatever food experience a person wanted to have, then people would sign up for the adventure. And it was rotating leadership. And I had the idea of like you know what's a really rare food would be a human placenta right like that's kind of rare it's totally edible and used in lots of ways that are super medicinal and helpful to including to the person who just gave birth sometimes people have used it in hormonal transition non non-invasive you know like kind of more natural transition um Anyway, so I, I I got I procured this placenta so that my food adventure club could have this experience, and I prepared it two ways. I made a rumaki, which um, this was a time when I ate meat. I had a very brief moment as an adult where I ate meat for a couple of years, and so rumaki is this very '80s appetizer that used to be very big, and it's essentially um, a piece of liver, normally marinated liver, with a watercress and then wrapped in bacon and broiled. So instead of liver, I marinated the placenta. I cut up the placenta. I marinated that wrapped it up with a piece of water chestnut water chestnut not crust and um, bacon and boiled it and I made a sun tea so a tincture uh, of a sun tea of placenta with alcohol and I made put it all in little drop um, bottles so everyone could have their um, tincture their placenta tincture and I used that tincture at a food event months later I was um, making micheladas at a food event and I did a, a float of placenta tincture on the top did you tell people that's what was happening? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They were into it. They were into it. So, yeah, so that that particular Food Adventure Club meeting um, was covered by the San Francisco Chronicle. <laughs> of course, that's the one they picked. There were so many benign ones, but that's the one they wanted to cover. The comments came- were so good. <laughs> I was called a hipster cannibal by people who were trolling me on the internet. <laughs> Luckily, this was like... 2011 it was a really long time ago so the internet you know like it, it wasn't what it is now but didn't wasn't somebody like what's next eating snot i think yeah like, people people were offended and i was like this is not wild people eat placenta all the time and this woman was generous enough to give me her placenta her husband was not happy about it because he was actually a butcher and he wanted to um he wanted to make jerky out of the placenta, but she had already offered it to me and kept her word and wow. gave it to me instead of her husband. I mean, good good on her. Good on her. And then there's me. Picture me, 2 a.m., walking in, covered, like, wet from the rain with a Tupperware <laughs> to come eat your baby. It was just, I felt like a monster. <laughs> this is almost like the inverse of Rapunzel, this story. <laughs> 
It was like the woman taking it away from her husband to give to the witch. I know. I know. She gave it to me, the old crone witch. And here I am now. Are you feeling yourself getting more crony? Are you, oh, yeah. Are I'm you, deep crone. I realized, what was I watching? Where I, oh, like watching Beetlejuice and identifying more with Catherine O'Hara's character than Winona Ryder's character? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, I'm 42. And I simultaneously, I think aging is like feeling older than you are and 16 simultaneously mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. That's how I experienced it. And I was a very old person as a young person. And I've been told, I would actually like to hear Jessica Lanyadu, the triple cap, weigh in on this. I've been told that Capricorns are young when they're old and old when they're young. Um, and so I do think I'm getting younger and freer with every passing year. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you'd agree. You've known me throughout my 30s and into my early 40s. I'm a little bit younger. A little bit younger. <laughs> well, you're living in a wonderland right now with birds' nests all around you. Yeah, that's true. You know? I, um, what was I going to say about that? Okay, so your recommendation for me professionally is to resurrect Food Adventure Club. Anything else? I guess I want to ask, what are you attracted to doing? Like, if you had to do some, I mean, here's the thing. I think that the hallmark of middle age, as far as I know it, is having a, a little bit of an interest in your inner child and, and acknowledging your inner 16-year-old and actually having a conversation saying, what would you like to do? Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, Beth Pickens, who did not have a childhood, was there anything like on your bucket list? God, I think I did all the things that person wanted. You know, I went to school to be a therapist. So I already like dug into all of this. Yeah. But my other careers that I've always like, mm, if I decide to stop doing what I'm doing, maybe I'll go over here. You know, one lifelong interest has always been becoming an ASL interpreter. That's mm. always been like, maybe if I switched careers, that's what I would do. I still think about that a lot. I think you would be good at that. Yeah. I know I would. Because you're very expressive. Well, and I took ASL when I was in graduate school. And I remember my instructor, <clears throat> she told me she had been, she became deaf as an adult. And so she had, you know, a hearing experience until she contracted meningitis while she was in college. And she told me when I was doing my final, I signed Ring of Fire, the song. Um, She said that I would be really good at telling scary stories to kids because of my overexpressive face. And I've always thought about that, how I'd be really good at like scaring kids. Again, Pan's (laughs) Pan's Labyrinth. Just a monster. (laughs) I never saw that movie, but I know... You know what I'm talking this, about. This this guy with his hands over yeah, his Yeah, it's a terrifying, terrifying movie. I saw it in the theater. It still haunts me. I recently watched The Comeback. Oh, so good. My unsolicited advice to everybody is to go watch both seasons of The Comeback. I've never experienced such a good finale for a series. Oh, my God. I've never felt as satisfied and happy and just really thinking about it the next day as, as I did there. And for people who don't get why Lisa Kudrow is a genius, like maybe you only know her from, oh, wasn't she in Friends? Maybe you never saw Romy and Michelle. When you see the comeback, you, you understand this woman, she is a comedic genius. Oh, yeah. You got to push through, too. I realized that it's I had... painful. It's an uncomfortable show. Season one is very uncomfortable. I realized that I thought I had watched both seasons, but apparently I had jumped ship or gone into a fugue state because I hated Polly G so much after the first season. Just the most horrible man in the whole world. Oh, yeah. He was horrible. Well, the acting is so good. The writing is so good. It's so uncomfortable that it's painful to watch. But I I feel like I owe it to Lisa Kudrow's performance in the show to watch it again and again. Yeah, I agree. Do you have any other recommendations for people? Mm, Like about anything or television? Anything or television. Um, 
my recommendations are study another language. If Whether you speak one or multiple languages, I think that um, learning a new language or continuing a lapsed language study is a really useful, humbling experience. My friend to the show, Chris Vargas, and I were talking about this because he, I was um, returning to Mandarin at a time when he was returning to Spanish. And we were talking about how it's so humbling as an adult to be revisiting. Language is picked up so easily by children and not so easily as adults. It's, you know, some people harder, some people easier. But it's a very, like... um It's a very humbling experience, and I find it to put you really in the present, almost like a contemplative practice. When you're trying to learn a language, you can't do anything else. When you're you're studying or if you're in a class, when someone's speaking to you another language, it takes so much concentration that it's like you lose time. Mm, I think that's pretty good. That's my other thing I like to do with study languages. My other recommendations right now are salads for the summertime. Kitchen Mouse has a very delicious kale salad. You don't hear me say that about very many places. Go to Kitchen Mouse. Get their kale salad. I also recently was given a salad from Tartine that was full of herbs and stone fruits and rye crumbles. Oh, my God. You know what makes a great salad? It's at least two different herbs, preferably three. It's all about herb herbs. 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 Herbie, Herbie Hancock It was salad. really herbaceous. Herbaceous, yeah. It's all about the herbs. The other thing I've really been liking lately is the shave ice desserts from Joy, which I have reviewed before with Don Riddle for the podcast. I can't remember if it made it on the air or if it was on the cutting room floor, but the classic shave ice from Joy, which is a Taiwanese restaurant in Eagle Rock-ish area um, or Highland Park. It's like a big bowl of ice with coconut milk and red beans and like all kinds of like a grass jelly and taro balls and boba and it's so delicious and um there's nothing better it's like 90 degrees here right now and so these things are making me very happy my other thing my other rec wherever you are get yourself to the farmer's market it's i mean california produce right now i went to the santa monica farmer's market last week the wednesday one where the, the the big one on wednesday and it was a wonderland. It was, I just couldn't believe the produce. We're so lucky to live in California. Oh, yeah. That's nice to know because sometimes the produce section of the grocery stores here is so grim. Mm-hmm. No, it's all about the farmer's markets. I like that. Beth, thanks for coming back on the show. Always an honor and a privilege. I can't wait for your next act as a professional juggler. <laughs> <laughs> what a clown. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton, with assistance by Panyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.